Ultimately, a lot of what we do as podcasters and business owners or managers is create and develop new relationships. Podcasts, of course, are perfectly positioned to help you network and get plenty of other business benefits, which I've talked about at length. Whether you're aiming for thought leadership, audience engagement, or really interested in those connections, my guest today, Desmond Dixon, has this advice to share. It's easy to get amazing guests if you're willing to talk to people. Well, you might hear that and think, of course, that's easy, and it is on the tin, but there can be a lot of anxiety about reaching out to, making a request of, and then interviewing a stranger. A lot of the difficulties that we come up with in networking for our podcasts are similar to the anxieties or issues we may have with making sales. So Desmond is here today to talk about his strategies for connecting with people and sharing what podcasting and sales can have in common, and how to take your initial conversations and overall networking to the next level. And here's a hint, something I've been guilty of, you won't be talking about the weather while you're doing it. Desmond started his professional life as a chemical engineer, but quickly pivoted to sales and now trains and leads sales teams for small businesses that want to scale from six to seven figures. He's a world traveler and host of the Campfire Capitalism podcast, and you're going to hear all about it today on the Business Podcast Blueprint Show. Desmond, thank you so much for joining me today. Oh, thanks for having me. I'm excited to be here. Perfect. So I would love to ask you first and foremost, is there a podcast that you wish you could listen to, but to the best of your knowledge, it does not exist yet? I would have to say by far it would be something where people go through like actual real business case studies, really, Ooh. where they unpack certain things and like allow it to have actionable nuggets for people. I think that would be super awesome to listen to if it was like kind of a short podcast and it had like a three-part frame and gave us some actionable stuff. I would love that. That's kind of my, my wish list. I'd love that too. I remember when I was in business school and we did case studies and it was like the best learning experience. Actually, you have these problems. Work. What a great idea. Listeners, take note. <laughs> I'm always hoping someone's going to hear one of these ideas and be like, oh, I can do that. And then we'll get to listen to it. It'll be a lot of fun. I'll be the first subscriber. So you're a podcaster, an entrepreneur, world traveler, all of these many excellent and interesting things. But I'd love to hear, how did you get into podcasting specifically? Well, I guess the first time I tried podcasting, I say tried because I left corporate and I was like, oh, I'll start a podcast. I've dropped three episodes and then it just stopped happening, stopped working. It was called the Zed Beat. And then two years later, as my business was starting to crush it, you know, I was making some good money. I was traveling and I was missing talking to other human beings. So I was like, huh, maybe I should start a podcast because I also want to be a speaker. And so it's like, let me do this. Let me make this investment. So I ended up like hiring a team and booking guests. And I actually ended up loving other things about podcasting than what I originally started podcasting for. I was like, I, for creating content and all this other good stuff and kind of turned into this like amazing journey as I'm traveling. I'd love to ask some, often, you know, we talk to people, they start podcasts and a lot of people begin in-house and they do everything themselves. But you said you started by hiring a team. I'd love to hear about that decision a little more. That's an interesting and possibly very good move. Yeah. So when I say hire a team, like I hire people within my company specifically to help me with different segments of the podcast. So I had a producer mm -hmm. full-time working for me, but he was also doing other things for other clients that I had that was related to like video editing. So it was almost like I was leveraging, paying for him to do the podcast, but also arbitraging some like upsells and cross-sells with some other things I was doing with other contracts. But then I had a, uh, my executive assistant was pretty much full-time in it, doing all the branding, all the social media stuff, and in a way managing the producer. But it was a very interesting experience because I not to hate to talk bad, but the level of 
expertise that I needed was a little bit more than what they were providing. It was almost like you can give them direction. As it's just kind of reflection as me as a leader. They only can do as much as direction I give them because they're just paid to receive direction rather than being paid for an expertise, if that makes any kind of sense, because it was overseas, right? So if I do it, do it differently, I would definitely hire, which I am actually going to do that now since I let them go and I have plenty of episodes, but I'm going to hire someone who does that all day, every day, <laughs> to put it bluntly. It's a decision like a lot of, I think, companies and entrepreneurs have to make is, do you want to have the expertise in-house that can be used for also client work and other business there? Or do you want to hire subject matter experts who are going to help with this one specific area of your business? And it's, I mean, you're always going to pay in some way, whether it's adding extra time and managing and making decisions and then doing later or in the fees that you'll be paying to an expert. So it's interesting to kind of hear both happening. Yeah. I just want to pay people. Pay to get my problems solved. <laughs> <laughs> that's just me personally. I think that's also, that's a, that's a fun part to get point, I guess, to get to it kind of as a business owner, because at first, you know, that's not an easy option. But then later on, as your business grows and develops, and you're just like, oh, I can just put money on this problem, and it's going to go away. And that's, that's a very nice decision to be able to make. I feel like when you're early on in entrepreneurship, you don't have any problems other than customer acquisition. And that's just simply talking Mm -hmm. to people. (laughs) Like, go out in the world, talk to people. Do people care about what you do or what you have? Do you provide something of value? And then if you do, can you be disciplined enough to close the deal to a certain degree? So that's my hot take, I guess. Controversial. (laughs) That's also your area of expertise, because I think for a lot of people, selling is one of the hardest things that they do as an entrepreneur. And that's, you're the expert in doing that. So yeah, I'd love to kind of, how did you become a sales expert, a sales trainer? Kind of what went into that a little bit? So it's kind of a funny story. I love telling this story because it's amazing contrast. So like my first sales job was when I was in college. I was a chemical engineer. Decided I didn't want to work in labs. I was doing stuff for like NASA, Department of Defense, and private industry. And I turned down another internship to do door-to-door sales with some friends in the Texas heat in Dallas and Fort Worth. And I knocked on a thousand doors and I got a thousand doors slammed in my face. I got fired <laughs> halfway through the summer. I was, had to go live at an uncle's house that I never met before because he lived in Dallas at the time. I got kicked out of the corporate housing. And at that moment, I knew I was going to be a sales guy. And I was so fascinated with <laughs> the human experience of like connecting with each other. So I just start studying the game. Because I was just an engineer guy. I was in the labs. And so I ended up getting a job at a corporation, a Fortune 500 company. I drove across to Denver, Colorado. And I essentially built a multi-million dollar book of business from scratch. Just really just being obsessed with getting people their desired outcomes. And like learning the mm-hmm. power of consistency and personal growth. What do I not know? Like how can I get my craft? And honesty probably helped me the most in terms of if I made a mistake, I owned it. And customers respected mm-hmm. me more for that. Also, if I didn't know the answer of something, I was willing to find the answer and keep my word and get back to them, which made me reliable and helped them in emergency situations. Then that opened the door to tons of more business because they could trust me in the times where it was compared to my competitors. So that's kind of how I got started there. Then I moved into, I left the corporate, got into personal development, left corporate. I was like, I'm gonna go bet on myself to do something else. And then I naturally got into like high ticket sales and software sales and I got into consulting because then people were just introducing me to people and I was giving it away for free at first because I didn't look at myself <laughs> as an expert. I was just like a sales guy. That's why I was telling myself I'm a sales guy. And now I'm just building sales teams and I'm doing consulting and I get to help people find jobs for a living. Like it's freaking amazing. I feel like I'm like, I kind of pitch myself. I'm traveling the world now. So 
I still study the game, even to this day. And I'm trying to do bigger things like get into brokering deals for M&A, right? Like, because they get, you know, three to 5%, right? Three to 5% on $100 million is a lot of money. So love sales and I study it. I love it. Thank you for sharing that, that story. I love that your response to a thousand rejections was, I guess I better make this my whole career. That's yeah. marvelous. Yeah. What an attitude. What a way to approach it. I, I think that's just delightful. You mentioned that you're traveling a lot right now, and we're going to come back, I think, to the, the sales and the different kind of moves you're making and the different exciting things you're doing. But as a podcaster who is traveling internationally, and at the time we're speaking, you're in Bali, how do you podcast and also be on the road? I can't imagine recording a high quality episode outside of my nice office in my sound treated room. So, so how do you do it? How does it work for you? For me personally, I let go of perfection and I stay mm. focused on keeping my word and going all in. So when I first launched, really the first 60 days are the toughest by far because you got to like do all the things, set it up, everything, at least me at the time, right? I didn't have an agency do it. And the hardest part was getting the guests. And when you realize it's easy to get amazing guests, if you're willing to just talk to people, once again, we're back to talking to people, it just got easier. There were definitely more days in early on that I didn't feel like doing it because you're doing podcasts mm -hmm. in the middle of the night. Or early in the morning, like, yeah. <laughs> like right now, like I've been up for 15 hours, but hey, I'm on a pod, but it's like kind of normalized. So you just kind of get used to it. You meet amazing people along the way that kind of motivates you because I love these kind of conversations, getting deeper in relationship, giving value to more people. So you just kind of, it's like brushing your teeth at some point. Hey, well, thank you for staying up so long to have this conversation with me. I'm sure everyone listening is appreciative, as am I. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> you just kind of learn to like make it a priority. And just do it. As weird as that sounds, just being disciplined like anything else and, and doing it. The thread that I think has come up a couple of times here, it came up in sales and it's come up in, in podcasting, is this interest in talking to people and this ability to talk to people. And do you think it is something that everyone's kind of got innately? Are there people who are better at it? Is it a skill you can develop? It sounds like, of course, we just talk to people, but I know it's a challenge for a lot of people to open up conversations, to have conversations, a lot of anxiety about doing it. Do you have a secret for talking to people? Yes. It's just being curious, more curious about that other person than you are about whatever's going on in your inner world. I know for me, I'm going to speak personally. I'm not, I not studied NLP. Like once again, I study the game, like human psychology, all the things. And at the end of the day, when you're so focused on yourself and like how you feel or what you need to say, then you're not really having a hundred percent, hundred percent conversation. What I mean by that is you're not giving 100% to understand and empathize with that other person and to allow to create the space for them to also be 100% interested in you because the law mm -hmm. of reciprocity is just natural within human, human conditioning. So when you focus out, when in doubt, focus out. So you're you know, having a conversation with people, like have them talk about themselves. Be interested in what they're doing in the world, where they're, what, who their family is, like what sports team they like to watch, what movies are they watching, right? I mean, I'm just, not to get into small talk, but you kind of get the idea. It's just asking questions. You don't need to pitch yourself. You don't need to do anything. You just like get to know them and then allow your natural human nature to come out. And like you just will talk as if you're at a campfire. So that's the secret. Don't think about yourself. Think about them. We'll be right back in just a moment. And now back to the show. I like that you mentioned small talk too, because I think small talk has a really unfairly negative reputation. It's a nice way to start a conversation and start testing the waters with someone new. You know, you don't need to start by talking about the nature of the universe. 
you know, you can jump into, how are you today? Look at the weather. Isn't it fine? <laughs> okay. I got something for you here. It is a oh, great yeah. report builder. The worst, or mm-hmm. some give you some networking 101. Will you jump on a call Please. with a stranger? Do not bring up the weather. That's the worst <laughs> small talk. It's because it's common. You don't want to be common. You want to stand out. Mm-hmm. So like ask okay. them about their day. They're going to say it's amazing. When they ask you about your day, you get to bring the heat, the energy and like, oh man, today was amazing. Because now you're setting the call off on a great tone. Great energy. People want to be around people with great energy. Be magnetic. That's my little networking yeah. tip of the day. No, thank you for that. Thank you for that. I, I definitely have fallen into the, oh, a new person. We're having a conversation. Let's talk about what the weather's doing. No, I think that's a really good piece of advice. So thank you for that. So if you could kind of give a lesson to all of the people who are podcasting out there, a lesson to what should podcasters, hosts, people who are having these conversations for marketing for their work, what should they be maybe learning from their sales team or the sales guy? Got it. Is specifically for podcasting or just in general? Specifically for podcasters, let's say. Okay. I love this. So the audience is very viable. Yes. However, the guest is as equal value as sometimes, if not more. Man, it's just amazing because do whatever you can to make your guests successful and your sales will literally reflect the low level effort that you help them become successful outside the podcast. So you're building this relationship with someone. Can you get them on other shows? Can you introduce them to potential clients? Can you engage with their content? Can you share their content without them asking you about something that you listen to? So like mm. be obsessed with serving your guests outside of the podcast. And if you do this over time, it compounds into deeper relationships and opens up the door for the possibility to receive more revenue. Because if you, you have something coming out, you're like, hey, can you share this with your list? They're going to be like, absolutely. No doubt. Yeah. I would definitely <laughs> share it with my list. Boom. Now you got access to a list that will cost you $100,000 probably to get the build on your own. So it's just like little things like that. Really invest in being a good host and a nice, interested, curious person, as you've spoken about, and really kind of plant the seeds that can later grow. I think wonderful. Yeah. Go deeper. Perfect. Well, I would love to hear a little bit more about kind of some of the exciting stuff you've been doing on because I think maybe it's a background in engineering and maybe it's a serious issue, but you kind of, you struck me as an experimenter. You like to try things, see what's going to happen, look at the results, learn from them, move on. And I know that, you know, at the time we're recording this call, it's going to be released when you're listening live. It was a little while ago. You ran a challenge for sales. And I'd love to hear a little bit about kind of what you were trying to do and what you learned from doing it. Yeah, so I did this challenge called No Dollars Left Behind. And the idea was to do 21 days, get a sell a day, get a referral a day. And I was going to teach some different game every day. And also had a different guest from marketers to copywriters to virtual assistant people. At the end of the day, what I found out is some people did get sales in terms of higher ticket. So like more money. So I learned a lot more people got a lot more value from what they offered, right? From some of the tricks. Um, In terms of the referral side of things, like what I found was it was not as easy to create a space for people to openly look for opportunities for other people. And I think maybe that has to do Mm -hmm. with Maslow's law, right? Hierarchy of needs. Maybe it's like, y'all need to put food on my table first, you know, kind of thing. And also... People's level of commitment. I mean, 21 days is tough with what I realized. If I did it differently, I would have done three to five, any differently. And it'll probably be a little bit more intense in those three to five days. But yes, it was, it was interesting. I ended up getting a lot of business after that more than I did during it. And it's crazy, right? Like I closed like you know, <laughs> six figures in deals after since that challenge, right? Which I'm riding that wave now. And I consider it like, man, should I do another piece, another something else? 
Yeah, it was an interesting. It was a great learning experience. And I'm ever great in the content. It's there forever for other people. <laughs> I'm oh, that's it. fantastic. Yeah, yeah. And we'll make sure to, we'll link to it in the show notes so if you are interested in the concept in the training, which I'm sure by this point in the conversation, you very much are, as I am. That'll all be right down for you, listeners. And in other kind of interesting, exciting news. So again, we've established you're in Bali, you're running these events and you've, you're working on something that's new, exciting. You mentioned right at the top of the call before we hit record, you know, you're feeling at a new level, things are going well. What's your current project if you're willing to share? Yeah, 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 yeah. So I'm pretty much doing fractional sales leadership services. So besides like doing flat up recruiting and training, I mean, I'm just really standing up sales teams and helping entrepreneurs and business owners replace themselves in the sales process. Kind of like hands-on building out SOPs, getting them started with sales stands up, like a fractional service. And it's like turning Mm -hmm. out to be really, really successful. Some clients are, some sales guys are crushing it. They're getting, you know, locked in. And I'm also, since I have a bunch of salespeople, I'm also giving other sales consultants, other sales recruiters access to my database. So like now I'm becoming like the Amazon web services of sales recruitment. It's just like easy money Mm -hmm. for me because it's like, this is just dead money sitting on my roster, right? I'm not using them. Why not give them to Mm -hmm. someone else and turn it into a profit center, right? With pretty good margin. So I got that going on. And I'm considering, since I'm not taking really too many more clients, maybe one or two, I'm considering getting back into tech and starting a tech company. (laughs) Because I'm meeting a lot of entrepreneurs (laughs) and I'm thinking about getting into the startup game and do that. But I have all year to to think about that, but I want to parlay into that and then eventually broker some deals as well. I mean, that's the dream scenario is to get into PE. So I got a lot of stuff going on, but I'm on fire. (laughs) I'm just networking. Like I put the time in, right? You're putting in 12, 17 hours a day. That's what I got going on. Sales, 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 and hopefully maybe tech. I'm thinking about it. Thinking about getting back into tech. That's cool. I won't ask you to talk too much about the tech because I know ideas at this stage can be a little nebulous. I would like to touch in a little more on fractional sales leadership because I I think one that's really interesting and I'm desperately curious. That's a really good, tell me if I'm correct about this, but it sounds like a really good service for companies that are scaling or poised to scale, but you know, can't have that level of expertise or that kind of C-suite level expertise in-house. Who are the people that these services are most useful for? So probably based upon the clients that I just recently signed with this particular offer, definitely high ticket, high LTV client turns. So if it's like a small size Mm -hmm. company with $100 widget or $200 a month widgets, probably not a good fit because it needs to be Mm product-led growth, not really a sales team. But it's really like high ticket, probably if you're investing in paid traffic, any type of inbound leads, maybe some requirements with if you have a content marketing strategy or demand strategy, once again, to a high LTV client. So professional services works really well. High dollar tech, masterminds, coaching, obviously, but I don't touch the coaching as much personally. I try to stay away from the coaching. I send them to a colleague of mine who that's what he does. But I like the professional trainers, which are different than coaches who do like 25K workshops for corporations and enterprises, things like that. And it works out really well because a lot of these people are, don't realize the importance of how hard it is to manage salespeople and that you have to gamify the process. And I love it like because it's a game. Salespeople have to earn everything. You can't just give them. I made this comment. So I was like, no offense. I'm not trying to sound like insensitive, but you don't want your sales team on food stamps. You want them to want Ferraris and Cadillacs and nice cars. <laughs> you want them to be motivated. You, want them to, you don't want a, a food stamp sales team. So I love it. Sorry, I'm getting super excited right now talking about it. <laughs> no, that's really cool. It's, 
I'm feeding off your energy. It's really exciting. It's really cool to hear about because, yeah, this is, a, this is an area of business I don't know a whole lot about personally. So it's so interesting to hear about it. Thank you for sharing. An interesting point about the sales team, too, because I think you know, a lot of super modern management theory is very much about the balance, the giving people what they need. And these are all very good things. But, you know, there is an argument to be made in some situations where, you know, you need to have more of that drive and it actually can make it a more pleasant and satisfying experience for all involved. So, yeah, really, really cool viewpoint. Yeah, yeah. Well, to wrap things up a little bit, after your extremely long day, I'd just like to tie it back to your podcast, Campfire Capitalism. In what ways or does it at all impact your business? What's kind of the connection between your podcast and the work that you're doing right now with clients and growing your business? Right now, it's a door opener. It allows me to have conversations with people a lot easier. So like it's a network builder for me. It has People do listen to it, which is cool, but that's to me a bonus. I know some people run Mm -hmm. offers and do their things through it. I personally keep a relatively like exclusive book of business because I don't want to work with anyone because once again, I'm traveling the world to have freedom, not to have a job. And I'm a sales guy. I can get my own food, but I use my podcast really to build my network and make connections. Mm -hmm. And it's all about abundance. And so that's why I don't make any offers on my podcast all my guests to make offers because I want them to give as much value as possible. And I kind of take that approach. Yeah, like literally today I had a call with someone and he was like, what can I do for you? And I was like, hey, I'm trying to get introduced to more Web3 founders, right? Because I want to network in that you know, field next. And he was like, how can I introduce you? I was like, hey, let's just get them on the podcast, man. I would love to interview them. And so now I'm going to be able to use my podcast to then network with CEOs of companies who are busy. <laughs> It allows me to network Guest obsession. Yeah, it's great. To come talk about themselves. It's great. Very, very cool. Well, thank you so much. Where can people find out more about you, what you're doing, and get involved with everything that you've got going on? Yeah, you can find me at uh, LinkedIn. I'm I'm like, I literally live on LinkedIn and my email box, unfortunately, I'm tied to it. But you can find me on LinkedIn, Desmond L. Dixon. Can't miss me. I have my hat and everything. You can also find us at the C-suite.xyz. That's where our fractional services are. Or you can also get access to the challenge at saleschallenge.xyz as well. Perfect. Thank you so much. That was an amazing conversation. I enjoyed that so much. And I'm definitely going to be taking some of that networking advice on board and integrating it into all of our systems. Now that means it is time for our question of the week. How should you follow up with your podcast guests? One of the main reasons most businesses run podcasts is to establish and develop professional relationships. That means talking to people, of course, but that's only the first step. To make your podcast a really meaningful networking tool, you need to be following up and building those relationships after the initial conversation. The first follow-up is easy. Thank you for joining us on the podcast. Here are all of the details about your episode. But after that, it can be a little more difficult to decide how to continue building the relationship in a way that feels natural. So here are a few tips you might want to try. First, connect with them on all social media platforms and engage with, like, and reshare their content. Be the kind of connection you want to have. Next, keep a running list of the people you're building relationships with and periodically reach out with something they might find interesting or update them on something that you've talked about in the past or the episode that you recorded together. Similarly, if you read, hear, or see something that really excited or interested you, consult your list of connections and see who might also be interested in that and then share it with them. Finally, and importantly, if you come across someone who could use their services or who hosts a podcast or project that they might be a good fit for, make those introductions. Building relationships takes time and consistent effort, and it's always important to think about how you can be adding and sharing value with them. It helps if you can try to have some kind of system for keeping on top of things. 
again, like I said, be the type of connection you'd like to have and really proactively try to reach out with things that are interesting, important, and potentially valuable. So as always, I'm your host, Megan Doherty, and this has been an episode of the Business Podcast Blueprint Show, which was created by the whole team at One Stone Creative. If you're looking to expand your own professional network through podcasting, get in touch. We would love to help. And you can reach us using any contact form on onestonecreative.net. That's O-N-E stonecreative.net.